Hello and welcome to another edition of the China and Africa podcast. I'm Kobus van Staden. I'm sitting in for Eric today. Um, I'm joined from Brussels by Matthew Dalton, a reporter at the Wall Street Journal, who recently did a really interesting article um, about the expansion of ZTE and Huawei, the, the Chinese tech firms in Ethiopia, and some of the problems they're facing there. Hi, Matthew. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. It's so nice to speak to you. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, can you give us a, a little bit of background? Obviously, Huawei and ZTE have been heavily invested in, in, in lots of different African markets. Um, what, what drew you to, the, to their investment in Ethiopia, and what were some of the, of the issues that you uncovered? The, the project in Ethiopia uh, is, I believe, the largest uh, telecom project being done by a Chinese firm outside of China. Uh, so, and I... I read that factoid in, uh, in one of the um, annual reports by the Chinese um, by one of the Chinese uh, state banks uh, either China Development Bank or the Export Import Bank of China and kind of describing how they were proud to be supporting these, these projects outside of China and, and citing the Ethiopia project and I never heard of it. I, was, I got into the story because I've been covering um, ZT and Huawei in Europe because uh, I'm based in Brussels, and um, I, I, you know, there's been a lot of controversy about the subsidies that they that Europeans allege they receive illegal subsidies. Um, the Europeans contend uh, the European Commission in Brussels is is considering opening a, an investigation into the two uh, companies that could potentially result in tariffs uh, on their products. Um, so I, I wanted to maybe do a do a story about that, and I was looking around, and I saw that um, yeah, there's this huge project in Ethiopia, um, and uh, I wanted to 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 look into it a little bit more. I think probably most people had no idea that um, Chinese firms were building these uh, were were essentially, in particular, one Chinese firm, uh, ZTE, uh, was um, constructing the entire network for for Ethiopia. So then I looked in, you know, looked into it a little bit more, and saw that there was. Um, uh, this World Bank report uh, that uh, found that the, the way the contract was awarded was highly unusual, um, in the sense that it was a huge contract for uh, to build the to, to essentially build the country's entire network. Because before um, you know, starting at around two thousand six or two thousand five, uh, the, the contract was awarded in two thousand six. Ethiopia's network was um, n- almost didn't exist. I mean, it, th- there was a mobile. Now it's it's a country of uh, probably at the time then it was sixty seventy million people, um, and you know, very a few hundred thousand. There was a there was a cell phone network of maybe that covered maybe a million people. Uh, so it, you know, no, but practically there was. The, very few fixed lines, almost no internet penetration. So it was one of the uh, a fairly unconnected um, country, even by sub-Saharan standards, and it and it remains so even after um, you know more than seven years of, of uh, ZTE being involved. Um, so I, I, you know, th- this is a, a really um, a hugely ambitious project to 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 give to one company to. Um, to do, uh, and you know the the World Bank report h- highlighted a, a bunch of um, irregularities, like that you know there was there was really no proper competitive bidding process. Um, the the contract is signed before any of any really of the the terms or the prices 
uh, for of what ZTE was going to charge were um, were settled. Um, so the, this the basically the way they did it was in 2006 they signed this uh, this big financing agreement saying ZTE would provide all this financing for your for your network in exchange you make ZTE the exclusive supplier of your network. But then when they while they were doing that they didn't uh, fix prices they didn't fix what equipment they were going to be installing. So that so, aspect. Of so all not- of this was was that pretty much left up to the discretion of ZTE to do, to decide once the project was underway. No, no, now, now, certainly not. I mean, there, there was what, what what ensued after that were were pretty extensive negotiations between the Ethiopians and um, uh, and ZTE. And you know, one the one thing I which I didn't put in my story, which I I know that did happen, was that. Um, uh, so Ethiopia hired a consultant um, to to run, or a bunch of consultants to to run this process, which is kind of a difficult thing to do when you're. It's hard to negotiate with one company after you've already made them the supplier, and after they're already in, they've already installed equipment on your network. Um, but one of the things that he uh, that that one of the consultants did was that uh, this team of consultants was they sent back a bunch of equipment that ZTE had installed in that group because they said it wasn't um it wasn't new enough uh that it had been produced for um one of China Telecom or China Mobile China Mobile's networks a few years ago um and the they wanted the the latest and greatest the Ethiopians wanted the latest and greatest equipment so all this equipment that was already in the country they had sent back ZTE was very angry <laughs> Uh, and and th- this is so. This is just an example of the kind of um, tumultuous uh, relationship that that was kind of going on between the the Ethiopians and, and ZTE. So you mentioned the the World Bank report. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, and inclu- you know you also included that while the World Bank report re- uh, criticised the the procurement process, it didn't particularly accuse ZTE of wrongdoing. Um, can you give us an idea of like of, of who where the blame really is is apportioned by the World Bank in in this case? Well, I think um, I don't know if I could if I could answer the question of how it's apportioned, but I think. Um, so fundam- I, I mean, fundamentally, it's the Ethiopians' responsibility to do to do their procurement as as in a way that is in their best interests. I mean, fundam- I guess you could you could argue that the um, the blame fundamentally lies on on Ethiopia's side. Now, the the question this report was written is is this investigation was done as part of a small chapter of a very large book called that the World Bank published called. Diagnosing corruption in Ethiopia. The, the, this investigation was done in the context of, of trying to understand how susceptible um, Ethiopians, Ethiopia's governance systems are to corruption, and and in the telecom sector, and particularly in the procurement supply um, aspect, Ethiopia. The, this investigation found that Ethiopia has. A, a kind of high susceptibility to uh, to corruption, and this particular contract raised a you know a number of alarm bells uh, in terms of you know how ZTE won the contract, um, what they do to win the contract, um, but the, the, there was no, and the investigator 
uncovered no you know hard evidence but um it, it raises a lot of alarm bells because you've got very high value equipment, um, a few people in charge of awarding these contracts, um, you know, a company very eager to uh, to get this very high value contract. You know, because you're you're talking about one of the biggest markets in sub-Saharan Africa, um, and the contract would have given them an, a monopoly. So it's it's uh, it's def- I, I don't know exactly what happened, but that that was the context. So, <laughs> I guess basically to put it bluntly, um, if ZTE paid bribes to win that contract, then you know, then also they share in the blame. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, my, um, what what in your reporting? What was the the role of? Did you find what was the role of Ethio Telecom, the the state owned um, telecommunication company? Like. You know, from from past reading about Ethiopia, I remember quite kind of interesting stories about them, inc- including very aggressive uh, guarding of their monopoly. I remember at some stage there was talk about um, outlawing Skype um, mm-hmm. in Ethiopia. I think that actually happened, um, you know, in order to protect their monopoly. Um, wh- what was the kind of role that they played in the in this whole process? Yeah, well, uh, well, one of the roles they played is they they didn't really, they kind of very uh, carefully avoided talking to me for this story. <laughs> the other role is, uh, yes, they have a monopoly. Uh, that's true. They did ban Skype, but that ban no longer is in place, I believe. The government frequently refers to Ethio Telecom as, um, as their cash cow, um, which is, so it's in this weird position of simultaneously, um, of actually being a source, uh, uh, at least according in the government's view, of of you know a big earner. Aside from that, that it has it has a reputation of being you know I mean one of the worst telecommunications companies in Africa. I think, <laughs> um, it, you know, and, and what, one of the things, and there were there, were, and it's been typically so. This is going to another another aspect of my story, which was that. Uh, so in 2005, there were Ethiopia's um, disputed uh, elections, um, in which it seemed like um, Melis Sinawe's party may have may have even lost the elections. And then there were all these crackdowns, and then they they maintained um, power, and they they held, I guess they held new elections, and they they won them. Or I'm not exact. I, I can't remember the exact um, uh, events, but. So after that, the government became. There was a lot of criticism from the West of these events, and the government became very, um, uh, very uh, paranoid of of Western involvement, and um, that was one of the things that really prompted them to to turn very strongly towards China. So before that, uh, there were a bunch of equipment suppliers on the network that that Ethio Telecom, which was then called the Ethiopian Telecommunications Corporation. Um, that there were a bunch of equipment suppliers that they worked with, uh, Ericsson, Nokia, um, Cisco, and also ZTE. And uh, the ZTE was given business relatively recently before the 2006 contract over the objections of a broad range of the uh, telecommunications company staff, the management, who were very concerned about about giving the ZT this business because at the time it was not at all established outside of China. Um, it was it was still uh, trying to 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 establish a foothold in in any international market. 
So it was kind of an unknown quantity. Uh, the, the Ethiopian officials felt like they didn't want Ethi- um, Ethiopia to be a guinea pig of what of this you know Chinese company's expansion plans. So um, so they they resisted giving a contract um, to ZTE, which was ultimately given to the contract uh, ultimately given to the company um, by uh, kind of senior government officials over their objections. Then the two thousand. So they, then they had all these technical problems, uh, or so they told me, with um, ZTE's equipment on the network. Then, 2000, then the 2005 election happened. A bunch of these guys were um, uh, fired, uh, and then the equipment, then this vendor financing agreement was signed with ZTE in 2006. A bunch more were fired after that. Um, they were uh, they were then prosecuted and um, put in jail. About two dozen uh, two dozen of them were prosecuted. Various some of them fled the country. They're in they have asylum overseas, um, and some of them still remain in jail. And a number of them feel that uh, they that this happened because they did not want to give um, they did not want to give contracts to ZTE, which at, which ZTE. After 2005, this this appeared to be the the favored company of the government. So, the, I think that the broader picture you get of Ethio Telecom is it's a place where um, you know where the government exercised its political power. Um, it's one of the most important companies in the country, and um, the you know the orders governing its management and which suppliers were going to be used were, you know, came from the prime minister's office, uh, uh, from what I've, what, what I've gathered. Um, so it was not, it's not something that, it's not a company that, um, historically has been run, uh, with, um, the intention of necessarily, you know, the, the overarching intention of, or let's put it this way. It's not a company that was allowed to be run, um, with, the um, intention of providing, you know, high quality telecom services to the people. Um, I think it was still, uh, it, it was still, um, it, w- it was very much uh, a, a company that was the product of Ethiopia's political power or, or a tool of it. Um, and you see that also with some of the surveillance stuff that they've been um, doing. I mean, they do quite aggressive. Ethiopia um, does quite aggressive surveillance activity. Um, the you know the kind that like Iran um, and the Iran and Saudi Arabia and China do. Mm. Um, can so you mentioned that you know kind of that <clears throat> the um, the provision of of actual services to the actual people um, was only you know kind of down on the list of priorities. Um, and in the article, you also mentioned that on the one hand, there's all these complaints about the quality of the network and the stability of the network. And on the other hand, they, they do also claim some success in terms of, for example, bringing, you know, kind of increasing cell phone connectivity from one, one million people in 2005 um, to 12 million um, last year. So, like, how, how does that kind of break down? You know, kind of like, you know, in... Objectively speaking, like how successful has this has this cell phone rollout been? Um, well, I think it's I think it's a mixed bag. Um, I think uh, so. The government says that um, the number of cell phone subscribers is is like twenty five million, or the number of people who use cell phones is twenty five million. Um, that number, 
I've I've been told uh, is is fairly exaggerated uh, in, in the sense that it includes people. It include it may include some canceled um, SIM card. You know that. SIM cards that were that used to be active, but are the, but that are no longer fully active. Um, so these statistics, the, the government, I mean, the, 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 in terms of the growth that the government is reporting of of act of users is is astronomical, and it's um, I think there is some skepticism that's warranted there. They, they've done, you know, they have. There is a um, there is a cell phone signal across much of Ethiopia now. I, I, I believe I didn't go across Ethiopia. I mean, I, I went uh, relatively. I was still relative in a, in a country of Ethiopia's size. I was still relatively close to Addis Ababa, but um, you know, there is cell phone service. Uh, a lot of a lot more people have cell phones. I think there there is the question of uh, just general connectivity remains low. So the internet is quite slow. Um, it's difficult. Uh, just from people I'm talking to, difficult difficult to get a good internet connection uh, from Ethio Telecom. Uh, a lot of businesses now this is, and it's hurting. It's to the point where it's it's still a drag on economic development in the country. Uh, Ethiopia. One of the things I need that you know that this this type of infrastructure, telecommunications, roads, uh, rail, ports. That kind of stuff. I mean, one of the ultimate goals is to is to boost economic growth and, and sustainable growth, so that Ethiopia can actually be more of an exporter than it than it has been in the past. It runs this huge trade deficit and, and has for a while, and you know, it's, a, it's still a very low value exporter. You know, basic ag- agricultural commodities. So, for businesses to access foreign markets, they need telecommunications, and the fact is, is that. The, Connectivity still remains quite low in Ethiopia. I mean, rel- low related to Kenya. I mean, very low related to Kenya. Um, so you know that that now certainly can't blame ZTE for that. Um, uh, you know, all of that, or you know, even half of that. I mean, the, this is something that um, I think the Ethiopians, you know, Ethiopia Telecom has a lot of problems. Um, you mentioned Kenya, um, and also, you know, kind of you in, in your article, you you raised a few other cases where Z, both ZTE and Huawei faced uh, allegations of corruption or weird procurement processes, um, including Kenya, Uganda, and then also the Philippines. I wonder if you can briefly give us an idea of like what are the what were the problems in those cases, and how do they? To which extent are they are those were those issues similar to the the situation in Ethiopia? In the Philippines, the, the Philippines is a is a very interesting case um, because they uh, they were proposing. So there were meetings between the the Philippine uh, president uh, Arroyo and and company executives in China, and op, out popped this proposal to build a government um, government broadband network uh, using a loan from China, and. The contract would go to ZTE, and it was just decided like that. No competitive bidding process, no, you know, no involvement of, you know, ex of Filipina Filipino experts um, on the ground in terms of deciding the design of the project or deciding whether the project was needed. And, and this was, and it wasn't like um, 
the Philippines didn't have a broadband, didn't have a, a broadband network. This is this is going to be a broadband network, um, a for like for the government. Um, you know, which some people, uh, a number of people have expressed. You know, why why does the Philippine, why would the Philippines need this? They have yeah, a network. I was wondering the same thing. Yeah. So, out popped this project, um, and uh, so they were just you know the Philippines is going to take on this big loan from China um, and and have ZTE do this project. Um, you know, it's not anyone any uh, expert in government procurement would tell you that that's not that's not the way to do things. Um, you know, first you want to evaluate whether whether the project is necessary, and then you know, so. That that has some some similarities in the sense that uh, this this project the the um, network expansion project while it does not share the the characteristic that it was unneeded because it was it was certainly needed um, the design of it the negotiations were um, there there were very little uh, uh, negotiations and the negotiations were all um, organized around the provision of finance in Ethiopia. So it was all finance. It's like, how much finance can you, can you provide? Um, not necessarily what kind of equipment, what's the price of the equipment you're charging? Um, what, uh, um, you know, what's the specifications? None of that was, was, was part of any kind of international request. Um, to the extent that there was one, it was all about how much money can you provide? Um, so in, in, uh, Kenya, there, ZTE proposed to build a national police communications network. So Kenya already had a, a national police communications network, but there was a feeling that it was um, that it was too that it was too old that it needed to be updated. So after the Kenyan president made a trip to uh, China in 2010, and there was an agreement coming out of that that. Uh, China would provide a loan to Kenya, uh, and in exchange, a Chinese firm would be chosen to build the project. Um, a lot of a lot of activists said, "Well, you know, why should we limit ourselves? Okay, China's build China's providing this loan, but other people can provide us loans as well. Um, why should we limit it to uh, to just you know negotiations with uh, with Chinese companies?" Um, and then the, there was, uh, you know, there was already a company that was operating the frequency that um, would be used for the national communications network, and they were just basically, um, they, I guess, the proposal would have been to just kick them out. There was a there was a competitive bidding process, and there were three companies that were that kind of qualified for the competitive bidding. It was ZTE, Huawei, and some other Chinese company. Uh, I think it's called Av- Avit. Avit. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and ZTE was the only, uh, company for some reason that passed the technical evaluation stage and Huawei was very upset about that. Uh, and then when they, so then at that point, the Kenyan authorities opened up, uh, the financial proposal that basically the prices for how much they were, they were proposing to charge. And I'm not really sure this is how you're supposed to do this because you're 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 not supposed to. What happened was is that ZTE was a, that all of ZTE's potential competitors were effectively eliminated after the technical evaluation stage. 
their prices were the only ones that were left uh, to to accept. Their their financial offer was the only one left to accept, and the the some a review of what they were offering found that they were offering um, uh, equipment at twice market price. And so eventually, so then, and then the the, the government, the, the Kenyan Interior Minister at the time, in, in February 2013, determined that there was um, a regu- quote unquote irregularities in the bidding, and that uh, the the contract should be canceled. Then a few months later, lo and behold, no, the contract wasn't being canceled; it was being revived. The government appeared to be moving to give it to ZTE. Then. The government reversed itself again, canceled the contract. EZTE appealed to an administrative review board, and uh, the review board sided with the government and said that no, in fact, you are offering it at uh, your your prices are highly exaggerated. Was the quote? So let's see. So then, in a gun. What's that? So sorry to interrupt. Um, so it, yeah. it, it, you know, all of this. Again, you know, kind of as as we discussed before, like the you know, kind of the the issue of who's really to blame here, <laughs> you know, kind of becomes so murky because in in all of these cases, you know, kind of my first my dominant kind of um, impression is it looks like a pain to do to do this kind of this level of business in Africa um, and to deal with African governments in, in in this kind of way, and you know, kind of it, it seems like they don't frequently the the processes. They seem they seem to be a certain willingness to break their own rules, and to um, you know, and, and the processes seem seem so murky. Um, is that is that a, a kind of a, a feeling that you ended up with as well? For people to to uh, for these procurement irregularities to happen, um, you know, there has to be there. There are always two sides. There are always two parties to it. Uh, there's the the person who's you know, there's the Africans and the Chinese, and they both have to be willing. Um, uh, willing cooperators in that in that transaction, um, you know whether it's just you know and, and I, I I always hesitate the word corru- use the word corruption without firm evidence, but uh, you know it has to um, y- you can't just blame one side for it. I mean I think the temptation is to say oh well the Chinese are coming into Africa and um, you know they're uh, you know they've got all this money and they're just encouraging people and encouraging or encouraging corruption uh in in you know in these dealings with potentially you know with potentially bad results and there is something to that but i mean uh western com- european companies um that's that's how european companies long operated european telecom companies long operated around the world i mean not just in africa um you know paying bribes is kind of a cost of doing business uh for a while until uh, their host governments, uh, you know, the United States, Western Europe, decided um, to enforce laws, either passed or decided to rigorously enforce laws that uh, make it a crime to bribe a foreign um, official to get a to get a contract. Um, and so, so now, I mean, you know, now there are there are real costs for for any kind of Western company that that gets caught doing that, and. China, as far as I can tell, does not take that attitude to its companies operating outside of China. There are very, very strict penalties for corruption within China, but um, outside of China, uh, it doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, um, um, in in you know, kind of when you, ha- I wonder if you could, you know, finally just just tell us a little bit about what what did it take to actually report the story? Because you know, kind of one of the refrains in the story was X. 
refused to speak to me, why refused to speak to me. Mm. Um, you know, kind of, you know, the Ethiopian government and Chinese telecom companies are notorious for never granting interviews. So, mm. um, how did you manage to go about getting your information? Well, actually, um, so ZTE was was really uh, candid, and uh, the the guy. Uh, the, the chief executive I interviewed in the story, um, he uh, he was yeah he was he was a very good interview actually he um, and, and ZT agreed to to cooperate uh, and um, yeah so he you know he was quite candid about about the fact that you know the network didn't work well and um, you know they were the, his argument was that it was the um, that. As, as it says in the article, that it was the uh, a lot of the Ethiopians' fault, um, just because they they couldn't uh, they didn't know, they couldn't maintain the network, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but other than that, um, yeah, when I went to Ethiopia, um, I had to get a journalist's permit to go because um, I wanted to interview one of the government ministers, uh, Debrecen Gebremichael. Uh, who is the telecommunications minister and also the deputy prime minister. And um, so I got, you know, after after weeks of, of pestering and hounding, I, I finally got the sign-off t- to come. I was there for a week. He didn't, he, his office kind of said, oh, we're, we're working on it, we're working on it. And in the end, I left without an interview, um, which was quite disappointing. Same with Ethio Telecom. I... I was in touch with the spokespeople of, uh, well, the spokesmen of the company uh, repeatedly. Um, could not get him to return a phone call, an email. I went to his office when I was in Ethiopia. Uh, I just showed up there, and he said, "Well, tomorrow I think I can. I may be able to, to to do an interview with you." And then tomorrow, he has left the city. You know, he's left Addis. So <laughs> it just, it, uh, yeah, the Ethiopians are not. I think, I think part of the reason is is that this is. Uh, I think they're, you know, genuinely quite embarrassed about the condition of the network. I mean, it's, it is, it's not good. Um, it is surely partly their fault. Um, so, you know, the, the, and then of course, then going back to the other, the other entities involved, I mean, Huawei gave me a statement. They were okay. But yeah, the, the, all the, the Chinese, um, state-run banks they weren't talking and they didn't really have much to to add to the story i think uh and yeah (laughs) so um matthew finally we usually ask our guests just to uh whether they maintain a a a presence on twitter or somewhere else on the internet that people can follow if they're interested um are you on twitter yeah yeah uh dj matthew dalton Cool. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, for for Eric Olander and, and I, you'll see our names on, the, on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Uh, you'll see our names in brackets when we respond to commenters. We're on there. We try to be on there every day. Um, I am on Twitter at Stadnesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And Eric is at E. Olander. That's E O. L-A-N-D-E-R um, and you know he, he tweets uh, updates on China Africa News daily um, yeah thank you so much thank you uh, Matthew for joining us today thank you very much Kobus I appreciate it thanks for uh, your interest in my article <laughs> um, and thank you everyone for listening and uh, we'll speak to you again soon thanks <laughs>